The Lord be with you, everyone. And before we begin, I want to uh, announce that I will be speaking in Alvin, Texas, which is uh, one of those towns that are part of Houston, Texas, on the Gulf Coast. Um, It will be August the 4th, August the 4th in Alvin, Texas, and it's at the Believer's Fellowship of Alvin, which meets in the Nolan Ryan Center. The address there is 2925 South Bypass 35, and the zip is 77511. And if you want further information, you can call them, and the phone number there is 832-746-6166. And it's for one day, uh, it's a Sunday, and I'll be speaking at their 10 o'clock service and then again at the 6 o'clock. And they're giving me plenty of time to talk. And also it will be two separate messages. Some people think in terms of repeat, no, I don't. If I speak for two hours, it's two different messages. I think in this case it's probably going to be one long two-hour thing that has an afternoon in the middle of it. But whatever, it'll be fantastic to see you there and to meet. And maybe when I'm looking into this camera, I'll see your face then. It will be great. Try and plan to be there August the 4th. Okay, I, I want to share from Luke 15. And I, I know if you've been around me for a very little while, you'll realize I am drawn back to this chapter again and again. Um, I have spent, well, I've certainly spent 66 years in this chapter. It's one of those chapters, and I think everybody has it. Uh, it's, it's the gift of the Spirit to you, and, and it sort of shapes your life. And when I was a teenager, and really much about 14, um, and I won't go into details, but this, this chapter was given to me, specifically the story of the prodigal son. And there's no question it has shaped my life uh, over the decades. And just uh, some, I guess, years now ago, I wrote a book, finally, after all those years, I wrote a book on the prodigal son called This Son of Mine. And as soon as the thing was finished, it was opening up even more. And, um, well, here we are again. But this time, and I am assuming that you know the stories here, um, the stories of the lost sheep and then the lost coin and the lost son from the far country, and then the fourth story of the lost son who stayed home. Uh, I, I think you know those stories. If not, read Luke chapter 15. And it's speaking very obviously of the love of God. There's no doubt about that. Everybody would agree with that. Um, but most that we hear in terms of these stories is how it affects us. That is, we see ourselves as the lost sheep. We are the lost coin. And we've all 
been there, understanding in many respects we are the returning son, and a number, are, they relate much more to the elder brother who stayed home. It's all about us and how we have received the love of God. But the fact is, if you really want to get to the heart of the chapter, it's really all about the seekers. That is, there's the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost sons. Well, the the story is actually about those who sought after. They were seeking that which was lost. So really, it's about the seeking shepherd. It's about the seeking woman. And certainly, again, everyone relates to it's the seeking father who was seeking his sons. And yet I hear very, very few references to that when we speak. And I'm, I do, do the same. I've spent hours in exegeting this based on, on the sheep and so on. Um, but I want today to look at these seekers. That is, I want to get into the heart of God who in his great love is seeking us. Because you see, what I've just said about the lost there, that's how we tend to look at the love of God. It's how I experience the love of God. I speak of the love of God as the transformation, the the wondrous power of that love in my life, and the sense of comfort it brings to, and so on. Whereas I think we would do better, sometimes anyway, to look at the love of God as God loves. So instead of speaking so much of my feelings, of course, they'll always come into that, and what it does to me, and of course, that absolutely is part of it. But what 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 is this love that causes God to be love? What What's it look like? What, what is the very being of God in motion of love? What is it? I want to look at the seekers. What is it that caused the shepherd to go into the wilderness? What, 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 what's happening when that woman turns out the house searching for the coin? What, what is it with that father that runs to meet the returning boy? What is it when he came out onto the porch to speak to his insolent older son? The, the love that God is love, but to see that from within the heart of God as he's looking out to us. And I believe that that will help us in ways that it's really impossible to put into words. See, the, the key phrase, and it runs through almost every story, is repentance. And you know how much I hate that word. Uh, it should never be translated repentance. The word in Greek metanoia means a radical exchange of mind. Notice that. It's a radical exchange of mind. And Jesus was telling these stories to the Pharisees. So there again, many times one would think he was speaking it to the tax collectors and sinners. 
who were the lost ones in the eyes of everybody else. No, he was speaking to the religious, oh, so religious Pharisees who could not think of themselves as being lost or in need of finding. But Jesus is telling these stories to those religious folk in order that they might come to see the heart of God, that is, have a radical exchange of mind. Instead of seeing God as they did see him, which was a distant God, a remote God, a separated God, one who couldn't stand the sight of us, hated sinners because he might get contaminated by them, but if he ever did get his hands on them, it would be to punish them. That's how the Pharisees and most religious people see God, more or less. And Jesus tells these stories to say, no, God is not like that. God is like a shepherd who goes into the wilderness. He's like this woman. He's like this father. This is, this is God, and he is seeking to give them an exchange of mind. That is, they take their mind, which is rigid in a belief system that actually cuts them off from the true God. And he would give them a new mind, the mind of God himself, his own mind, the mind of Christ, which knows God as God is, and and, and therefore in giving them the mind of God in exchange for their mind, that would collapse their belief system and bring about the joy of the Lord and relationship. Um, that, that's essentially what this is all about. Um, the, and of course, he, he is saying that the, the, the lost ones are the ones that had the radical change of mind, and that is why the Pharisees are seeing such joy at a table of feasting when Jesus is sitting down with the most notorious sinners in town. Those, quote, sinners understood the mind of God better than the Pharisees. And so Jesus is introducing them to the real God and explaining why he who is God inside our humanity chooses to sit, to be delighted, to rejoice at a table surrounded by, as I say again, the most notorious sinners in town and uh, relating to them and they to him and joining together. And the Pharisees are angry and Jesus is saying, it's because you don't know who God is. And so we've got to face the fact, um, the liar, Satan, how can I put this? We, we tend to think, religion has taught us, that what happened in the Garden of Eden, which some call original sin, the entrance of sin, whatever, um, Satan came to the first humans, and the result was sin entered the race, death entered the race. But what, what is that sin? That's big! That's big! What is that sin? Because... I mean, was it just that they, were, they they broke a command, they ate a piece of fruit off a tree? Is that, is that what it's all about? No, there was something prior to that. 
And it was because of the prior that they did that. And that prior was um, blinding them to the true God, but also, in fact, what came first was blinding them to who they were. And so sin in its beginnings is blindness, so I don't even know who I really am. And then that blindness, therefore, toward God. And the invention of a God, a distorted image of God, that fits in with the lie. And so I live in a lie and I worship a God who doesn't exist, only in my imagination, that has been created by the lie. Now, out of that can come a whole host of behaviors. But but sin, that is the brokenness. That is the falling away from my form and purpose and meaning as a human is the blindness that Satan gave us as the the great lie. Um, And so the Pharisee is the poster child for that lie. They have a belief system that close their heart, not only to God in the face of Jesus, but also to the love and delight of relationship with that God for which they were created. And so, Jesus told these stories to open the eyes of the Pharisees to the truth concerning the real God. And of course, the real God is incarnate before them in Jesus and open their eyes to see the preciousness and the value and the wonder of every human being. So, we look at the seekers, look at that shepherd that goes into the wilderness, the woman that turns the whole jolly house out on the lawn looking for a coin, and and the father running like an idiot in front of the whole town to grasp his son and kiss his filthy face. I say again, that's God. Is he your God? That's that's God. Doesn't sound like the God I meet in many theological tomes and doctrines of what churches believe. But this is Jesus said this is this is what God is like. I'm looking at God. And Jesus, of course, I say yet again, is this God that he's talking about here, is this God who has come within our humanity and and therefore into our humanity he brings this revelation of who God really is. And he announced that blindness that was upon the human race, remember, when he said that only he knew who God the Father really was. No one else did. But he said he would share that knowledge with everyone who came to him, who was tired and weary and ready to receive it. So, I feel like looking at you and say, I want, this is your God. This is your God. Look at this shepherd. Look at this woman. Look at this father. This is your God. Come to know him in the face of Jesus. So you could say that this shepherd, this woman, this father, uh, they are composite pictures of the Holy Trinity. I, I do not see simply God the Father 
or the Son, or the Holy Spirit in, in these characters. I, I, I see God, and so I, I see the pulsating passion of the heart of the Father. I see here the Son coming to get us, and I see in these people the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to see this. And so we are looking at God love, that unique love that translates in the original language as agape. And each person of the Trinity expresses that love in the unique expression that they are. Um, And also, let me say this before we plunge into it. You can't understand this chapter fully if you give it our, what shall I say, um, if if you give it our sort of um, accepted traditional evangelical interpretation. Do you know what I mean? As I was uh, young in the faith, this was always presented to me as getting saved. Do you know what I mean? Uh, And so the sheep, you know, the sheep and the coin, they they got saved. And the idea, of course, was that, well, that's it. You see, you're, you're saved, you're in, you got it. And now you'll go to heaven when you die. Um, well, I see a lot more than that. I, I see here an unfolding of our lives. I, I think a number of you would understand me if I said there's been many times in your life, many times, when you've experienced what that sheep experienced. It wasn't just one time. In fact, what happened the first time takes probably another a hundred to a thousand times of realizing that love before you really begin to know what it's all about. Um, the, the prodigal son, and of course really it should be the prodigal father, for the word prodigal means wasteful, and, and, and the father looks to the outsider as a wasteful love that he showered upon this kid. Um, well, that didn't just happen once in my life. In fact, when it first happened, I hardly knew what was happening. Um, I thought I did, but, um, you know, 66 years later, I realized I didn't know much at all. Um, in fact, in the last few days, I've re-experienced this chapter. That's the truth. In the last few days, I have again met the shepherd who picked up this lamb and put him on his shoulders. In the last few days, I have met again this father who won't stop hugging and kissing. You see, it's an ongoing. We're we're ever coming deeper and deeper into this this passage as we live out our lives in Christ. And and so um, we are discovering again this, this love that the seekers of this passage they reveal that love of God. And, okay, let's get to it. They, they all have one thing or two or three or four in common if we try to enter into their hearts. And, and the first thing is that each seeker was the personal gift of themselves to that which was lost. I know that's pretty obvious, but in each case, they they didn't send a proxy. You know, the shepherd spoke of it as my sheep. 
which means that he was the head shepherd, he was the owner of the sheep, and so he goes himself. He doesn't send a couple of the junior shepherds to find the sheep, which would have made much more sense. No, he gives himself, and that is the beginning of understanding of this gospel. It's the beginning of understanding the character of God. And it is summed up in the word that, well, the word governs the New Testament. It's the word grace. And essentially, without going into a whole hour on that, um, grace, it means a joyous giving gift. And so God gives, but he doesn't give any things. He doesn't give stuff. He gives his very self. You see, that, that the gospel is not an it. It's not some formula whereby you get to heaven. The gospel, the, the word means the good news, the incredible good news. In fact, in the uh, most original meaning back in the, uh, well, way back to early 12th, 13th, 14th century, um, in any dictionary you read it from those days, it means the good, glad, merry news that makes a man leap for joy. It's good news, but what is the good news? I say again, it's not a formula. The good news is that God has gifted God. God has given himself he doesn't send a prophet. That's over when, when the Old Testament closes. That's the end of that kind of prophet. You, you don't get some, some proxy that comes to tell you what God wants to say. He doesn't send an ambassador. He comes himself. And so the, the angels announced to the shepherds that they would go to Bethlehem and they would find there a baby, a, a genuine baby that has just been born and that baby lying in a feeding trough wrapped in cloth and said the angels who is and in our English version it says Christ the Lord but if we could take one step back into what those words mean in plain English Christ means Messiah or the anointed one and Lord, if you've been with us for the last six months or so, you know that is the name of God in the Old Testament and should have been translated as I am. I mean, that leaves me speechless one more time. They, they said that the baby lying in the feeding, feeding trough was none other than Messiah, I am. <laughs> Well, who can comment on that? God himself has become one of us, and so much to the point he has joined us inside our darkness as a genuine human being, born through the womb of the Virgin Mary. Um, it's a gift. It's a gift of God. And by any definition, the word gift, um, well, you, you, you can't pay for it, can you? That's impossible. It would cease to be a gift. There's no, um, you can't initiate a gift. 
Don't go to the giver and say, it's about time you gave me whatever. Nor can you manipulate by making long suggestions of what you think it would be a good idea for someone to give to you. A gift comes spontaneously out of the heart of the giver and to the receiver is absolutely free. All I can do is say thank you and take it. I can't pay for it. I can't haggle for it. I, I can't you say, well, you know, you shouldn't have done this. Well, no, you spoiled the gift. But no, you don't do that. You say thank you. And you say, what, what can I do to, to repay you for this? No, you don't. That, if, if that's the case, it's not a gift. It's a loan or, or it's a mortgage, I guess. No, a gift is a gift is a gift. And therefore, it's very humbling for the receiver because there's nothing I can do except say thank you and receive it. And that's what I meet in these chapters. In every case, the lost can do nothing. They can do nothing except be the, the ones receiving this gift that is thrust upon them by the seekers. For the, the heart of this story is that God is the limitless giver and he gives himself his very self to us in order to bring us from our lostness to our belongingness. And of course, every gift bestows worth. When a, a giver gives a gift, they, it's invisible and unspoken, but it's very real. They have bestowed upon you worth and significance and importance. Uh, I mean, a gift is a gift, but it does mean that in the eyes of the giver, it was worth it to give you the gift. You, you were worth the gift. Yeah, I'm sorry. When you come to the gospel, there's none of this awful religious groveling where you never stop saying, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy. Oh, shut up. The fact is, God himself gave to you the gift of himself which places a worth on us that is beyond the whole creation. Yes, I said it and you heard it. Look, look at John 3.16 as an equation in which uh, the, the love of God is, is shown us in, in his greatness. That it says, for God so loved the world. And, and so there you have the first half is so loved the world. And I, and I say, what does that look like? What, what is that so loved the world? And so then he says, that. And so now he's going to explain in, in an equal. I say, so loved the world, that. And on the other side, it's going to balance. This is what so loved the world means, that he gave his only begotten son which in the Hebrew mindset, um, son, my son, would be the same as. And so he is saying that God so loved us that he gave God the son. That which within God is the most precious, God gave God, which is saying that your worth in the eyes of God, your worth is to be equated with God the son. And the, this, the shepherd, what's he doing? He's giving himself. 
And, and that, that's, that's the impetus of his going into the wilderness and, and giving himself. He places himself in the same danger as the sheep. He's equating himself with the sheep. He said, doesn't make sense. No, very little in the gospel makes sense. You might as well get used to that. Um, we're, we're dealing with God's logic, God's reasoning. And in his reasoning, he makes himself the gift to you and I. Um, and, and although the coin is um, you know, not, not human, of course, but, but the woman gave, gave herself to search the house in the way she did, just to put her hand around that coin. And, and the father brought shame upon himself by hugging that child. Um, he gave himself. But <clears throat> it brings us to the second thing, and this is very important, that each of the seekers claimed ownership to that which was lost. In fact, let's get this straight, um, because in many circles the word lost is bandied around in a very negative way. Uh, I mean, I know, I've, I've been in the organized church for a very, very long time, and I, I've heard it, I've heard it too many times, where they look at certain persons or even groups of persons and they say, well, they're lost. And they're very, you've got you've to gotta be stinking religious to say it in that way. It's got a sneer in it. It's got, well, it has. And you don't, please, will you learn English? If something is lost, it is lost to an owner. Can you get that? If you don't own it, you can't lose it. When you use the word lost, it presupposes it's the owner of that which has lost it. Now, that brings up a lot of interesting thoughts. From the seeker's point of view, which we're seeking to... Yeah, we're seeking to know the seeker. Where, From the seeker's point of view... When he says the word lost, he is saying that which is mine, that which I own, or in the case of the last stories, my child, my flesh and blood, but covering all of the lost, my most precious my most desired is missing from where it should be, and I am totally intent upon seeking and finding it. D- did you get this? You can never look at those that are outside of the experience of Jesus that you might have and sneer and say they're lost, and, and say it with, with, with a sense of separation. They're, they're, they're lost. And also say, say it with, with, with a sense of it's over, it's done, it's a done deal. They're lost. Come back, come back. Come back into the heart of God who presents himself in this chapter as the seeker who says of those that are indeed self-separated in their minds from him. And he says the word lost, but he sure doesn't say it like religion does. 
Yeah. I mean, do you realize it? Most notorious sinners were those that started this conversation. The tax collectors. They, they were the betrayers of their people. They, they were Jews who had sided with the Roman army of occupation. They came back to their own people to extract taxes and the rest. That they were as close to a mafia network of getting money out of people that you... That they were despised. People wouldn't look at them in the face. They wouldn't touch their hands. If, a Pharisee, if he touched a tax collector's robe in the street, he'd go home, wash his robe, and take a bath. They, they hated them. And Jesus sat and ate with them, which in those days was a meal of covenant that he was saying he was their friend, bonded to them in solidarity. Yeah. See, it leaves us a little awkward and speechless. But You're saying that they're your people? Yes, they're mine. That's what lost means. If I lose this pen, I lose it because it's my pen. You can't lose this pen. It's not yours. And when I find it, I say, it's my pen. Do you get it? Oh, this warms my heart. God never looks at you as belonging to the devil. You always belong to him. He's your creator, owner, He's the giver of your life. Do you, do you get it? Oh, I know that. I, please don't don't turn me off. I, I I know this is upsetting to many folk, but I'm sorry. It's in the Bible. He comes to these people, and he is saying, "You are most precious to me. I desire you to the point where I'm going to give my very self to you to find you." And I'm going to keep searching until I have you in my arms and can tell you eyeball to eyeball when I've stopped kissing you that you are my child. And you might have forgotten it and you might be blind and deaf to it, but it's the truth and I'll keep saying it till you know it. See, lost. And of course, from from the other side of the coin, that is, it was from the viewpoint of the lost person. Well, yeah, but they too, they've descended into a place where they no longer had meaning. Their meaning was in their connection to the owner. Their their meaning, you see, see, the, the sheep's meaning was being part of the flock. And and the the meaning it wasn't just she didn't just uh, lose a piece of loose change that was not the story of the coin it says there were, there were ten coins and she lost one of them well that suggests strongly that it was a necklace and and back to those days it was in all probability the necklace that was something akin to a wedding ring given by husband a covenant symbol. And that little coin by itself had no place, no meaning, just just a just a coin. But but uh, it it had a place, and now it's lost. And where it is, it's not functioning in its meaning. It, and there's a sense of uselessness. 
it's coming to ruin. That's what the story of the kid in the far country. He came to ruin because his whole life was twisted, distorted, because he had self-divorced from the very source of his being. It all amounts to nothing, though he thought it would be the everything. No longer fulfilling the basic meaning of life. Yet they're lost. But it's because they don't, they, they, they missed the fit, like a jigsaw puzzle into the place I belong. And, and so the word lost, yes, it, it shows a person who's in a very sad and dangerous place. But the real story is it describes the anguish of the person who was lost. What is lost? Who looks at the, the, the lost thing? The sheep was meant to be in the fold. The, the coin was meant to be on this. And so the, the anguish, like the father who says, My son, and clings to him, crushes the boy in a bear hug because, well, he's my boy. He's my boy. I, I, I know. See, this is seeing the gospel through the eyes of God the lover. This is seeing the good news as the good news of relationship. Whereas many of us have been raised to think it's, it's all about a courtroom that, that, and God is the judge. Oh, that doesn't fit this chapter, does it? God the judge. <laughs> and, and, you know, you're under punishment and then, you know, you get some sort of release. You get the governor's pardon and no, no. Well, the, the the thing that amazes me about this, it's all about the ownership and, and the passion of, of the owner to get what is his back. But there's, I mean, the sheep doesn't get a beating, nor is even threatened with one. Do you understand that? The shepherd didn't go to beat up the sheep. Of course not. It's his sheep. He's not a fool. The, the father doesn't... Well, it's the boy, it's, it's the kid who brings up where he's been. He says, I, I made a mistake, father, and I wasted my life. I'm, and he's a, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And, and essentially, there's more than one way of looking at it, but the father interrupted and, and said, suddenly we don't want to hear about that. You don't want to hear about it. I, I thought that was what Christianity was all about. Keep on talking about sin, sin, sin. I thought that's what God wanted. No, he doesn't want to talk about it. Because love has forgiven, released, and absorbed, and it's canceled, and it's gone. Now let's get on with the feast, bring the best robe, and put it. You see what I mean? No, the, the father... The anguish of having lost the son into a place of meaningless and uselessness and, and separation, which from the father's side, there never was a separation. He's been waiting for the child to come home. But, and so the, the, the seekers are, are the ones who are seeking those who are, are lost to their meaning. You see, the fact is, and back again to the Garden of Eden, we were created to be the familiar family of the Holy Trinity. That's why we were created. That's not an optional extra. That's not something that some weird people get into. 
No, that's the meaning of creation. They, in Genesis 1, as God brings into being the whole um, of the planet, and then beyond that, the universe, and then he comes, and do you remember there's that, that stop, and there's almost consultation within the Holy Trinity, and it says, let us make mankind in our own image and in our likeness. This is different to everything else. This isn't some evolutionary happening where the great ape of Friday morning becomes the man of Friday afternoon. Oh, good grief, no. No, there's a a stop. Because there is a gap that can never be bridged between the highest ape and you. You were made in God's image, in God's likeness, to be the familiar of the Holy Trinity. That you should actually derive your life and your being from God himself. And when he made you, he didn't just say, mankind appear. No, he fashioned you out of the dust. And then it says he kissed you into life. He breathed in. And the word there is is like our mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. God breathed it. God breathed into us his very life. We were made for relationship. That That's he owns us as a father owns the child. And the inter- eternal, that is, before time to after time, the intention of love in the heart of God that he will not be God without you. And it's being played out here. The shepherd will not be a shepherd without this sheep. He's going to find it. The woman is not going to be the woman of the house without that necklace. And the father will never stop until he has his sons in his arms. So, you see, it belongs. And if you go through the chapter, <clears throat> this is underscored. It says, I found my sheep, which was lost. I found my coin. You are my son. And then to the final one, he says, my dear little boy. This is not the story of a shepherd who went hunting for wild goats. Get it? But for my sheep. You you get it? When you go hunting, they're not your sheep. They're just wild, so you're hunting. But when you're seeking, it's because it's my sheep that's lost. And the woman, she's not looking for loose change that someone might have dropped. She's looking for a specific coin that belongs in a specific place on her person. The father's not ambushing the man at the traffic light who said he will work for food. Nor is he confronting an insolent neighbor kid. No, my son. Do, Do you get it? This is the story. We belong. We belong. We have ownership. Yes, look at your neighbors. Just some, they're lost. No. They're, they're, they're owned by God the Father. They're beloved of the Son. And the Holy Spirit works within them, even though they're blind as bats and deaf. But it doesn't make any difference. You might not know your identity, but it doesn't change your identity. You may not know where you are when you're asleep, but you, you're still there. See? Our destiny began before we were born. You're not an accident. There's no such possibility. 
for you received your life from God. And so Paul says that his, his call, the call of God inside him predated his being Saul the persecuted. Do you, do you understand that? Before, before that, it says it began in his mother's womb. And therefore, when he plunges into darkness and confusion and religion and persecutes believers and curses the name of Jesus, he can't get rid of the fact that he began with God and, and, and therefore he, he's the sheep that's wandering in an intense darkness, doesn't know who he is, thinks he does, and will kill anybody who defies his thinking. And then when he meets with Jesus, Saul, Saul. Well, I'm June of, I mean, it's supposed to be a court, isn't it? We're supposed to bring this wretch and tell him of all his crimes and sins and he's done and he's persecuted the Christians and he's going to be punished. No, don't even, it doesn't bring it up. What? No, Jesus doesn't talk about it. In fact, there's, because we can't guarantee the tone, but I mean, read it, and I think any sensible person will hear there a gentle tone. Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? That's about it. Uh, just a passing reference. He says, you're mine. Look at me. Uh, I, I, I'm your owner. Psalm 22, David says he was cast out of his mother's womb. And the, the word cast there is like you would throw a dice. He said, I was thrown out into. But then he says, I was thrown into your lap, Lord. Yeah, I, I was thrown into his arms. And I, I didn't know that for years, but it was true. See, this is our origin. This is where we belong and this world of darkness is the work of the liar. And we believe the lie, and the lie blinds us. In fact, that lie is so devastating that when we hear the truth, it sounds like a lie. Isn't that? You talk about a lie, it's so. Oh, what a lie. What a lie. It's so potent that when you hear the truth, that you belong to the heart of God who has never quit loving you and searches for you inside your darkness. And you see, when I, when I look up into the face of Jesus, well, let's put it this way, when the sheep looked up into the face of the shepherd, in a sense he was looking at himself that, that, that the, in the face of the shepherd, the sheep was looking into the face of his own environment. He, he was looking for that place, looking at that place for which he was made, where he belongs. You know, when, when the son looked into the face of his father, he could say all he wanted, I'm not worthy to be called your son, but the fact is you're looking into the face of your origin. You're looking into the very face of the one who gave you breath. You're looking into the face of really who you are. Do you get it? You, you've been kidnapped and brainwashed, or you've heard those stories. Well, <clears throat> they're not just stories. 
because the human race has been kidnapped by the murderer. Kidnapped. And you see, what's the gospel? The gospel is the announcement that your real dad confronts with rage the kidnapper. And he will not leave until he's got you, his child, back in his arms at any cost. The parent owner will not rest until the child is brought back and all the lies and the darkness have been removed. Well, when you see it like that, you see, you realize that all ideas of us taking the initiative, you know, trying to be good enough for God, it's it's missed the point. You know, know, the very idea that we're trying to get God to notice us by being good, you know. And some, uh, I don't know if you're listening, but I, I know some people, they think if they fasted and prayed, you know, for 40 days, three times a year, that was actually said to me. Somebody said, if I really wanted power from God, I had to fast and pray 40 days, three times a year. Yeah, that should get his attention. Oh dear, that's obscene. It's he who's seeking to get our attention, to open our eyes. He's been working in our lives before we even knew him. It's his initiative, his every move. And what, when we do things, when we call, when we pray, we, you might not realize it, but that's a response to his initiative, which means going on this long time. It's his prior love for you and his passion that he will not quit until he has you. And understand this, and I, I'm not taking too long on it, but faith, real faith, is not something we conjure up in our within ourselves and try and make it happen, try and believe. Your faith is as strong as our understanding of his first love. It's when I realize that he loves me before I even knew him, that his intention as my owner and true shepherd and true parent is to bring me to himself then my response to that is I trust him. Each of these stories reveals, and I've been saying it really, so I'll be quick about it, but every story reveals this love, this agape. Uh, The mirror translation gives us a definition of agape as the shepherd that leads us to rest. And I, yes... Um, and as you follow through the definition of agape by how the word is used <clears throat> and what is assigned to it, um, you, you would say that it is the movement, as the, the definition of the shepherd leading us to rest. So agape is this very movement of the being of God, not something he does. I mean, the being of God to lay hold upon us and reunite us to himself into his rest and and to rise up against anything that would separate us from him and to overcome that so that we might stand face to face, eye to eye and know the embrace of God. That's the meaning of agape. 
He leads us gently like a shepherd to that rest, but he won't quit. The, the, the very nature of agape is the seeking, the passion. And I use that word, the passion, the energy, the unlimited desire to reunite, to remove all that separates us at whatever the cost that he might have us in his arms face to face. He comes with intention, single-mindedness. When I read these stories, there's no ambiguity about the seekers. They, they don't leave you wondering what each of them will do once they've decided. You know, you know the people, they, they're very excited. They say, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And, and then they don't show up. Or if they do show up, it's uh, they've gone by the first coffee break. No, th- th- there's no ambiguity here. They announce they will find their sheep. I will find the coin. And as I said, the father, the, the old man of the village, but he picks up his robes and makes some sort of Bermuda shorts and it reveals his knobbly knees and his varicose veins and he runs and makes a great fool of himself in front of the village. But that's great. He's got an intention, a passion. See, we, we spend our time trying to love God. We realize He loves you. He loves you to the point of craziness. When, when Look, come on. When, when the creator of all that is became flesh, have you got this? He knelt down in front of 12 men and washed their feet, including the one who was just about to betray him. Are you crazy? Come on, what, what, what do you call him? God Almighty. Sure. No mention of love. Did you notice that? Most, most people worship that lie God who's got a power. No. The real God became one of us and then knelt down and washed our feet. God is love. There's no suggestion I'm in this for a bit. Just see if if anybody's interested. If not, I'm going home. No, no, there's determination. It's direct. It's clear. There's nothing half-hearted. This isn't somebody having a try. You know, I'll have a go. I'll be around for a bit looking for this last thing. There's no suggestion they're going to quit at twilight and give it up as a lost cause. No, I'll sleep in the woods. I'll expose myself to the predators, but I'm not going home until I find my sheep. I'll sweep the darkest corners of the house until I had the coin in my hand. Oh, yeah, there's no, I say it again, there is no ambiguity. And why? There's a perception of value. I've already mentioned it there. You know, a gift given bestows a value, but it shows up all the way through here. Why does, why does the shepherd go into the wilderness? Because he has placed a value on that which is his. It's a heavy value. 
value that actually we here in the West can't understand. The, the value a shepherd of the East puts on his sheep, but that's another story. But he, he value. The parent places a value upon those two kids, even though both of them insulted him in their each and only way. Didn't change anything. You're my kid. And I won't, I won't rest until you understand that and it's love and love. See, uh, just a casual onlooker, you, you would have missed it. You'd have missed it. You, you, you would have... Uh, you, you, I mean, the sheep, well, sort of a, a sheep? Come on, you're not going to risk your life going out there for the... It's a throwaway, a throwaway. You know, lose some, gain some, whatever. And I mean, the kid, he, he's a beggar. Just a tossing homeless kid. See, but no, the, the seeker sees great value, vast worth of these lost out from their intended place. And the more precious the one lost, the greater the sacrifice that is made to find. And so the seekers of the parables saw the value of the lost, even though it was hidden under a pile of present circumstances and actions. See, yeah, it's my son, but hidden under all the actions of the far country. Living with the pigs, yes, but he's my son. He doesn't know it now. He thinks he's sinned himself out of existence, but... He's my son. He can't change it. It's mine. I'm going to get him. This is my sheep. He's not a throwaway. It's my sheep. Precious. And the coin, though it's buried in the dirt and the day, it still retains its value. It's dirty. It's got sticky muck all over it, but it's retained its face value and it's retained certainly the value the woman has placed upon it as part of her necklace. Hasn't changed that. It's just in the dark and if we could personify a coin, it's forgotten who it is, doesn't know who it is, which will produce a whole bunch of stupid behavior. But the woman knows who it is. The shepherd knows his sheep. The father knows his sons. He's going to find them. Even though they're speaking back to him and saying, I'm unworthy of the designation of being a son. Father doesn't listen. Gives a declaration of worse. They're obsessed with it. Obsessed with seeking. It's an intention dream that fills their mind and their imagination, their emotions, even the senses of their body. Do you know the love of God looks at you and he says, you fill up my senses. I can't stop thinking about you. You fill the divine imagination. You are the dream of God the Father, who is Christ coming to get you and the Holy Spirit never ceasing to open your eyes. Do you realize what you see in this story is, is something that's more important than eating or sleeping or safety? Just to get a hold of the lost, filled with a passion to restore the lost. Every sense is focused. Hmm. 
following every lead they're going to find. What is theirs? It's revealed in Jesus. Well, my time has gone. Um, when you awaken, and I've said things here tonight, I know that you might not have heard before, might seem backwards to some of you. I understand. I do. I understand. Just let the Holy Spirit open your eyes. Let Him teach you what I've said. Don't be afraid to follow the resonating Holy Spirit. And when you awaken to realize who you are, when you realize that the divine love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is fulfilled in you, that you are the joy of the Holy Trinity. Because that was, again, the common denominator of every story. As soon as the shepherd found the sheep, he gives a, I mean, a, a loud shout of joy. <laughs> They're not British, you see. <clears throat> Je Jesus told these stories to a people who understood what it was to shout for joy and dance and leap. And, and he says, when he found his sheep, he's filled with joy. And then as he goes home, he's shouting to everybody, come and rejoice with me. I found my sheep. Jesus said, that's what God is like. No wonder religion was filled with rage because he was collapsing their entire doctrine. Hmm. And when I realize who I am, when I realized that I am I'm the Father's child, I, I was birthed. I, I was the dream of God before I was birthed, that I should be His child in relationship with Him. Oh, compared with this sometimes, the church today is so boring. And I mean it, I'm not being snarky. It's dull. Well, I suppose if, if you get saved and then nothing happens until you die and go to heaven, it's, it, what are you going to do fill the time? It's dull. It's boring. Um, and you discuss the love of God from arm's length. I was said, I told that the other day, this is, you're much too intimate. You're much too personal. God, God's God. Yes. But God became flesh and came into me through the Holy Spirit. Yes. We don't discuss him arm's length. And then, of course, we have the faith, but that's our anxiety to try and believe intellectually. You can't believe intellectually. It's relation. He comes to you and he loves you. And belief is response. That's why the scripture says, faith which works by love. Well, what can I tell you? Um, Jesus portrays this extreme joy. Why? Because, and I say this very carefully, God is fulfilled in what he gets to be in you and in me. And so I trust this has helped you get just the beginnings of an introduction to an understanding of how God is love and how he feels about you. And so now the blessing of this God who is unbegun, unending, unconditional, unbounded love. May he bless you. 
God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, open your eyes and fill your life with his fullness of love, that you may dance your way in the Father's heart. So I bless you, so it is, so it shall be.